once again into the Soccer OG. Hey everyone, it's me, Max. Glad you could join us for episode 153 for those who are keeping count. As always, I take this moment to remind you to rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend of this show that is being well-received all over the world. Continuing to see downloads in the least likeliest of places. And that said, you know, we try to be a global soccer show, but this is going to be American slanted as we talk about some of the things that's happening with the under-20, for instance. By the way, we have a new caretaker manager in place for the U.S. We'll discuss that in stoppage time. And I'll give you, and I'll reinforce why I think this U.S. under-20 squad has a real shot to break new ground as they made through the quarterfinals here on Tuesday. Normally record this a little bit earlier, so uh, if you're used to the Monday weekly routine, I apologize. Hope you can find the pod a day later. We'll try to get back on those tracks. It's all very uh, uh, guest-driven here on the Soccer OG. Speaking of, in the business end, we'll be joined by the one and only, really the man who has carved out um, his name on the top of the pecking order for soccer research in this country. It is Paul Carr, Senior Director of Content at The Media Sports. He provides all the soccer research notes for the folks at Turner, Fox, and CBS. Yeah, he carries a lot of weight. Uh, remember him from our time at ESPN, and we'll talk about how some of these researchers have become kind of rock stars with the information they pride. We're in the information age. You want the information. We'll be here to share it. But the Soccer OG, with some of the things that have stood out this weekend, and there were several, begins right now. Are wrapping up the European calendar in the at the end of May. Just a few important games to look forward to, but uh, it's all done and dusted in the Premier League and the Bundesliga. The Serie A and La Liga will wrap up next week. The big story, without question, something we documented here: the Bundesliga race, which was pulsating. Borussia Dortmund doing what they had to do to control their own destiny in the final week. They did that, and I could not believe. What I was seeing Saturday morning when I'd watch Mainz go to the Westfalenstadion and score a goal in the 15th minute and then the 24th minute and then Dortmund chase. They had like 30 shots. They couldn't score. They finally got a couple goals in late to tie the game, which wasn't enough. They almost got help from Cohn on the other side. So just to show how the, the situation with Bayern, they obviously weren't the same Bayern from years past. They were struggling. And they... um were playing Köln, uh, not a very good club, and Köln tied the game in the 81st minute, made a great save around the 88th, and then Jamal Musiala scored it. If it tied, that would have been enough for Dortmund. So they almost fell on their face. They did fall on their face at home, Dortmund, after doing all the heavy lifting prior to the game against Mainz, and they almost didn't have to get the result if they did got a solid from Köln. But Bayern... You know, kind of backed into that Bundesliga shield, which just shows you. And then afterwards, they they part ways with um, Oliver Kahn and uh, Salihamidzic, Hassan Salihamidzic, who have been the brain trust and the most visible figures of that Bayern team. So whatever Bayern did, I mean, this was Bayern at their lowest point. I mean, have you ever seen a club with, apparently, if you're firing their top two peeps, that there's disorganization, that there are issues, that maybe there's a, a talent concern. And through it all, they still win the Bundesliga shield. I mean, I don't think Bayern's going to be this uh, 
subject, you know, there are to be this tender, right? Again, they're going to fix this in the offseason. They already started that progress. So Borussia Dortmund, I mean, I don't know how else you put it. It was a 90-minute game, and it wasn't like they had a big lead and it got away, but they did everything right. I This is one of the biggest chokes I have seen in the sport. Um, with it, 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 Certainly when you think of the big chokes in any sport, you know, the Jean van der Velde, the biggest choke ever in the British Open. You have the New England Patriots coming back to beat the Atlanta Falcons after being down 28-3 to in the Super Bowl, which really was a choke because the Falcons were doing these three and outs and they couldn't stay on there. And in the end, it slipped away. What about in soccer, the big ones? You know what the big choke to me? And, I, you know, it must have inspired them because they won the next two World Cups. But the 2011 World Cup final, where Japan beat the United States, I mean, the U.S. choked in that game. They allowed a goal in the 117th minute, and, and then they, had, they allowed a goal in the 81st minute. So they gave up two leads late, first in regular time, then in extra time. So the U.S. choked. I mean, I remember arguing that. I mean, and Hope Solo at the time was saying, it wasn't a choke. I go, yeah, it was a choke. But Dortmund, although they didn't choke in that game, the fact that they were blowing teams out along the way, they got it right, and then it comes down to that. And they uh, not only fall, but fall on their face so quickly. At home, it was it was painful to watch, you know, and to see to see an opportunity spoilt. Some great images of the Dortmund fans staying there with the fans. But I feel so bad for them, man. <laughs> I mean, Dortmund beat Mönchengladbach in their last home game 5-2. The game prior to that at home, they won 6-0. The game prior to that, they beat Eintracht Frankfurt 4-0. They won their previous game against Union Berlin 2-1, a team that's heading to the Champions League. Prior to that, they beat Köln 6-1. These are their last home games. They beat Leipzig a, a Champions League team, by all accounts, as well. This is a huge... They, they beat Erta 4-1. to one. They are so good at home. How does this happen? How? All that work thrown away. Anyway, I don't want to harp too much on it. I was just... I, I was floored. I did not expect that. And complete clarity. I, I woke up a little bit late. I'm on the West Coast. And I turned on, and it was already a two-zip, like, right, right in the half-hour mark. I'm like, what? Yeah, what's up? Uh, not much really to, to follow in the Premier League, you know, as much as we talk about the exciting final day, they're, the relegation picture, three teams trying to survive, really. The top four was pretty much locked in, and we know where Man City stands as well. They were already crowned the champion the previous week. So it came down to Everton, Leicester, and Leeds. Leeds, uh, typically, I mean, they were down two minutes in this game to Tottenham Hotspur. They had waved the white flag. I mean, they got nothing out of these managers that came in to try and get a lift. Flat, flat, flat at every step. Now, if we talk about should they have fired Jesse Marsh, it would have been different. I can't answer that. But all these teams that got really cute with their managers at the end of the season all paid a heavy price. Uh, Southampton, you know, Hassan Hootl was the first to go. Jesse Marsh there at, uh, at Leeds. Uh, Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. You know, Everton made a change, but I mean, they didn't set the world on fire. It was the other teams were just so bad that Everton, thanks to their win, and they needed a win because Leicester won. They needed to get the result there. 
got it on an incredible goal, a famous goal by Abdullah Dukure. So I don't know if that's going to mask what Everton did. It shouldn't. And we, you know, we, we celebrate a promotion relegation, but see survival, it's like, ugh. you know, maybe Everton needs to pay a price and go down the way they're hovering the last two years. And uh, it's a messy team. Remember, they signed, they, they brought, they sold, was it Anthony Gordon? Uh, big fee there at Newcastle, and they never replaced him. That's what small-time clubs do. You know, Everton's got that, but uh, disappointing for Leeds. We're, we're dealing with all the uh, aftermath now, and then there's Brendan Aronson, a report that he has a clause that he will not get relegated. I don't think he wants to either, but does he have a future in the Premier League? Certainly maybe in the Bundesliga or somewhere like that. We don't need, we already have too many Americans in the championship. If we can limit the amount of Americans in the EFL championship next season, that's a good thing. Um, Weston McKinney's uh, maybe going to Juventus. Maybe Christian Pulisic's joining him. And by the way, stick around for the business end. We'll get there in a couple of minutes. We'll talk more in detail about American players and where they're going to end up next with Paul because that time that we had where there was like 15 Americans in the Champions League and one was winning it and two were in the final. That is, feels like it's a, uh, uh, that may have been the best it ever was. I don't know if we're going to get it back. And it may not be a bad thing. This is not a, this is not a reflection overall in U.S. soccer. The talent's getting better, as we'll talk about in stoppage time with the under-20s. But uh, the, maybe it was uh, overblown a bit, the fact that we had these guys playing for Chelsea and Barcelona and Juventus and Manchester City, to a lesser degree, even though Zach Steppen wasn't playing. Uh, w- but maybe that's not us. Maybe we like to roll up our sleeves and play in other leagues. Or I thought Leeds would be it. And by the way... Uh, and the Leeds now that are wiping their hands of the Americans, I say bye-bye, Leeds. All those Americans who bought Leeds gear now have to feel a little silly. Screw them! <laughs> Screw them! Could have, could have treated us a whole lot better. Did want to talk a little bit about the news that broke today, uh, a U.S. soccer spin, as Sporting Director Matt Crocker has promoted B.J. Callahan to head of coach at USMNT. Anthony Hudson departs, report that he got some sort of opportunity that he's going to pursue a lot of people are going wait are you crazy you're not going to coach the gold cup i mean i got some bad news the gold cup this year isn't going to be the one all end all it's not so do you this is a little life lesson for all of you especially if you get older and you have a family you got to put food on your table you got to be working and sometimes you work you don't get to do all the fun stuff all right but I can assure you, it won't steer you wrong. If somebody is going to give you a tenure and a contract to work, as opposed to someone who is not going to extend you, it's pretty simple. You go where the money's at. You you go where you're wanted. Anthony Hudson did a nice job for everyone here. And uh, the reason I know it's because when he took over the job, there was such disarray and he was able to quell it. We were able to kind of sweep all that yuckety stuff under the rug a little bit. And during that, he was... He oversaw the uh, the dual national uh, commitment from Fulham and Balogun, and I told you this is my Osama bin Laden rule. Whoever got Osama uh, gets credit for doing it. That so whoever was in charge of the U.S. soccer <laughs> when Balogun uh, swore his allegiances, then that guy gets credit. So that guy is Anthony Hudson. And he had to know he wasn't going to get the U.S. job, but he was going to get something uh, because of what he did here, that he was looked in that well of a light. He's done enough to get a job at another national team or something like that. And he should be able to pursue that and get paid. Sorry. 
I mean, you're not going to call it a gold cup. If someone wants you, you go there. Simple. All right, kids? Don't make a stand and then all of a sudden go home and go, sorry, we can't go on a vacation this year to your family or whatever. You know what I mean. I know there's other stuff that I want to cover on, but let's get into it. We had a really good conversation with Paul Carr, uh, researcher extraordinaire for Turner, Fox, and CBS. We'll talk about the U.S. national team players, where they're headed. We'll talk about gambling in soccer. What does the future look like? Let's go. We are now here at the business end and the Thrilled to be welcoming in a, a man who I've known for many years. Many years going back to our days at ESPN and seeing what he's been able to do in the soccer space. I was talking to him a little bit off air. We need people like Paul Carr out there because he loves the sport and he sees it through so many different lenses. He is now the Senior Director of Content for True Media Sports, which we all need. Paul was the, as you probably may, would know after watching some World Cup shows for ESPN, is the researcher extraordinaire, but there's so much more to that information. And now you're you're expanding that out to the most important thing, Paul, make so many more people smarter about the sport. You were doing God's work here. <laughs> Thank you, Max. It's good <laughs> to be with you again. I think I was trying to remember, I'm pretty sure uh, I was I was the researcher who kind of gave you the researcher onboarding at ESPN back in yeah. the day when you showed up with, I think, Al Jaffe and company and just, you know, here's <laughs> the researchers do and all that stuff. Uh, so it's always great to reconnect with you. It was such a different time because it, that it was. And it was 2010 and they were rolling anchors in. And uh, and by the way, the researchers are great because, you know, I keep in touch with Chris Felique and mm-hmm. the researchers become, you know, the big names and stars. And and I, I, I love it because the information that was given to schleps like me, they can come from <laughs> the research department, come from the source. And it's really interesting. And uh, it, it gives you guys a chance to. Uh, to tackle some new things, but I, I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. And I'm glad ESPN, we're in the forefront of kind of doing that. They had the research department there. Cause look, I don't have a research department. What I do now, I am the research mm-hmm. department. So I lean yeah. into guys like you, but at ESPN, there was a, a, a group in the, in the newsroom tucked in that corner. It was about 20 people at any time of the day where you'd go and get a research tidbit and they're like next level research. So they were very serious. I mean, the research departments are probably taking a hit in a lot of places, but that was it. Yeah. In, there's a lot less anchors in ESPN and there's a lot less of all the bells and whistles, but they still may. I, I I will preface this. This is not a shot at ESPN. I'm a million times better at what I do because of the time I spent there. Oh, and it's because 100%. of all the resources yeah, they had. Too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that size of your research department I've learned is, you know, it's different than how other networks and companies run it. Uh, it must have some sort of something, but sometimes they might just be for events or it's just a smaller group where you're focused on individual uh, sports or teams or whatever it might be. So it's uh, it was a very impressive thing that Jeff Bennett assembled on that yeah. research side. And we had a, at that time, especially, we just had a, a murderer's row of talent <laughs> and knowledge and, and whatnot in the department. So it was fun to kind of lead the soccer part of that for a while. I know the late, we lost him recently, Ben Keeperman, and he was, because uh, mm-hmm. the, the researchers there, you know, they would tell you, you would look, they would look at, <laughs> They would be so embedded into the sports, especially baseball. And they would tell you these stats. And I go, I, I don't know how to explain this on the air. I know it's intricate. <laughs> I, I just don't know how to explain yeah. this. Yeah. And then the that soccer was, guys. That was start- the challenge. It yeah. just changed so much while I was there. So I started at ESPN in 2008. And even at that time, you know, that was before. 
for we'll say the Moneyball Revolution kind of went mainstream. And so you're still working with traditional stats and history and stuff. And over that time, it was one of the big challenges was how do we take advanced numbers, even whether it's as simple as like OPS in baseball, or obviously you're getting into war or win probability added or whatever, and learning how to explain those to people like you who have to explain them on TV. Because I, you know, you and I can have this conversation and we can talk through expected goals or whatever. But if we have a five minute conversation about it, you have 10 or 15 seconds to get that note out on air and you have to understand it and be able to relay it. So that was the challenge as a researcher is how to take all this information we have, whether it's historical or advanced stats, and just winnow it down into something that somebody else can then explain succinctly. So it was just a new thing that we all were figuring out over that decade. <laughs> the baseball stats. Someone to go, oh my God, we got the blood diamond of baseball stats. It goes, Delino to Shields. Uh, if he hits a double here and then I was like, wait, 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 slow down. I'm writing it right. all down. You know what he's going to do? The win probability if he yes. pulls this off. But you'd see the excitement on these guys when they would oh, do yeah. it. But at, at, the reason I bring that up is you'd go there and, and I was like trying to wave the soccer flag. And again, this is mm-hmm. not a shot at ESPN. I have discovered like on sports center when uh, we didn't have a lot of soccer in there, the sports center audience probably didn't want it. Right. The sports center audience was there for NFL. So maybe yeah. there's a different, place to do that and we're seeing that you know take its course now so the soccer guys we'd like oh what do we do and then i would discover three or four including paul where we would go and oh yeah what about this and then we we kind of geek out on some soccer stats on mls i joke sometimes that half my job at espn was explaining soccer to people and and i joke but it was kind of true because oh i would there i would watch you you're like yeah yeah." when you do that one highlight or 30 seconds or lead in on sports center or whatever, like you want whoever the anchor is, you want them to sound like they know what they're talking about. So they you know, usually have questions like, can I say it this way? Like, well, that's not the right term, or you're adding the context of whatever multiple seasons, or you know, where's this club? You know, which highlight should run on sports center of the 10 Premier League games a weekend? That was you know, one of my things. Like, here's the top two, three games. So, you know, go for those, you know, unless something crazy happens. So it's all just kind of the foundational stuff. But I had so many of those conversations with you know, a whole range of people, some high level suits who were super interested, some not so interested, some just all kinds of people at different levels, different interests, but it's just part of growing and educating. And especially with the world cups that ESPN had while we were there, like that at least peaked interest, whether it was because they had to, or wanted to, but it, it made steps and just kind of made soccer, you know, again, not at the top level of sports, but it was moved into that second, third tier, whatever you want to call it, where it was at least something that people were aware something was happening and they had the possibility of doing something about it on TV. That's uh, very well put. And by the way, as an anchor, whatever was told to me, if they told me that blood diamond Delino de shield stat, <laughs> I wanted to make it sound like it, it came from me. And I, I was interesting. Fine. Yeah. You yeah. wanted, you want to sound smart about it and right. uh, excited. So uh, because the, the, when you, it's true. Like when you get a stat, you're like, Oh my God, this is so good. <laughs> I can't right. wait to say this. Cause it's going to bring my whole highlight right. read together. Right. We could have a researcher could find the best stat, but if the anchor can't sell it, then no, it's pretty worthless. So yeah, we got to be able to explain to you, add the context of maybe it's a rank, maybe it's a percentile or how many times something has happened or compare them to, uh, you know, uh, Otani's numbers. You just compare it to Babe Ruth and anything compared to Babe Ruth is cool because it's Babe Ruth, that sort of thing. So it's finding the right <laughs> context and letting you know the on-air people get excited about it. That, that was our job. 
Very good. And it, it done wonderfully. And I, the World Cup was so interesting because when the, it was there and many of you would have seen Paul and he would appear with men in blazers when they were at ESPN for the 2014 World Cup, which was this incredible opus that, you know, yeah. was the end of World Cup for now. I mean, they might get it. I'm sure they're going to be competitive. By the way, I was uh, uh, the president of ESPN at the time, John Skipper, who's now with Meadowlark and Dan Levitard. Mm-hmm. I had to do this thing for Heineken for him. And I may have shared it on this uh, before. And so Fox got 2018 and 22. This was around 2015, 16. And Fox must have made a big, must have complained on all the right places because not only did they get the 2026 World Cup as a make do for 2022, which did great for them in, in right. hindsight. Um, and from what I understand, I, I can't say this sufficiently, but I think that uh, the Qataris helped them with their production. So it was yeah, where it was been reported. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Reported. So I don't want to make sure because I haven't uh, vetted that out. But it was, I mean, whoever did that at Fox deserves a huge race because uh, it kept them there. But I was doing this Heineken spot and it was just by chance with John Skipper. I'd ask him a few questions. Hey, presented by Heineken in the studio. As it happened, somebody came in to alert him. And John is like, no, he's he was in a position of, of, of a lot of power, but he was a very, um, agreeable and approachable guy always with a joke and then someone told him about the 2026 world cup they're giving it to fox they're not opening it up to bidding and he just <laughs> oh no that's when he found he out a, that's when he found out and then he left i'm pretty sure that's when he found out because it just there was a switch got flicked and he had to leave and i'm like oh oh he was but so it, mad he gave some angry quotes to you know whatever media outlet was about <laughs> that and you know vaguely threatening legal action that didn't really play out but yeah, there were a lot of angry people at ESPN when that happened. And keep in mind, this was before they said the World Cup was going to be in the United States. Right. It was you, it was expected, but you didn't know for sure. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So well done, Fox. So they they they'll reap uh the benefits of having that. And uh well, they'll do it, but we'll come back. But I, to to put a close on that at 2014 and at 2018, I was there mm-hmm. and the coverage of the World Cup just it changed. I mean, there was yeah. no highlights and they said, we're not, and I, I can understand that. There yeah. was no There's highlights. Rights issues. And yeah, to your point, so, I remember when the 2010 World Cup became a company priority, I'd been at ESPN about a year. So this was like early May of 09-ish at that time. I didn't really know what that meant until as the soccer researcher, I started getting calls and emails from like facilities because we're putting flags up over here and we want to make sure, you know, just all this stuff for us to check, <laughs> you know, signage and marketing and like every well, they're saying, is this the Algerian company. flag? Yeah, yeah, yes, you're good. <laughs> yes, is this Ireland or Ivory Coast? Or, you know, do we want the England flag or the Great Britain flag? And, and all these different things that just people coming out of the woodwork to do something for the company for that. And both behind the scenes, in front of the camera. Uh, so it was just, it was a pretty incredible ride for those two World Cups. And we'll see. And part of it with ESPN is that the, the because they, it was, they had all the soccer, a lot of the big soccer, and it's all changed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, everything's it's, chopped up a lot more. It's a big marketplace. Uh, you know, they had the MLS and now it's on Apple TV and we move forward. But I, it's cyclical and we'll see. And, and I'm here to talk to you about the growth of the sport because you're certainly feeling it because uh, you work, uh, you provide the research for Fox and CBS. You you work with the, the U.S. soccer crew there with Turner, as we had Sarah Walsh on a few weeks ago. And you also help with Fox with the MLS. So a lot of stats out there and a lot of information. And do you, the the audience is without question um got a bigger appetite for that i think people at, at least in our echo chamber that you see on social media that we talk to they um 
in this information age, this desire to find out some stats beforehand, it's gold. It's very valuable. All this information about, um, and we're going to talk about the U.S. players and their role because we're all following that. But that, how, how have you seen that that share of information and the demand for it? I mean, I just think back to like when I started really following soccer, which I would say at the European level was really like after the 02 World Cup, because I really kind of learned all that in college, graduated in 02, had time, whatever. There just wasn't a lot of data available. You know, I remember looking like, you know, baseball reference website existed, but there was nothing close to a soccer reference or anything else. So just trying to find anything beyond goals and assists was, you know, very difficult for even the top European leagues. And now you can, you know, sometimes it might take a subscription or a license or whatever, but you can find touches and passes and segments of the field and segments of the clock. And, you know, almost anything you want to find at the event level is tracked now. And that's not even getting into like the player tracking stuff, which isn't as media friendly yet, but I'm sure will be soon. Uh, so it's just the sheer volume and the depth because not only can I, is it easy to find that information for the top levels in Europe, you know, you can trickle down to almost any, you know, first division in Europe and find similar information somewhere. So it's both, it's, there's more information, both from a width and a depth standpoint, which is great. It's almost too much sometimes, but it just gives you all the tools to try and figure out from a media standpoint, like what's important, what's the storytelling thing, what's the hook for whatever this is. And I'll tell you, Paul, maybe you're going to end up being like a sporting director with all this information, because <laughs> I was reading Ryan O'Hanlon's book, Net Gains, uh -huh. and they were talking, he talks a lot about how they're trying to get analytics, which, you know, it's yeah. loosely connected here to what we're talking about, mm -hmm. into the sport. You mentioned baseball reference, but th those next level stats, many people in baseball, or a lot of them, look at that to get an edge in the in the management fields. And yeah. we all saw Red Moneyball or, or saw the movie, and you could see how that transition happened. And it's here to stay in there. The book kind of says how they're trying to do that in soccer, and some people have had success, but it's very difficult to get um, to translate that information to goals yeah. and results. But yeah. they're still trying, and there's there yeah. seems like there's a breakthrough. It's a, it's much more difficult to do than say baseball or maybe football. Right. But there are clubs that are doing that. There's certain clubs that are trying to do that, and by, by and large, those clubs are having more success than failures by at least trying. Going, oh well, this. This stat kind of fits our team. Why don't we find a player who can do this? Right. Because statistically, we can see that. Right. Uh, so, you know, is that the is that the brave new world we might be looking at? I mean, I think we're there for especially the top clubs, you know, and it's really, I mean, it's an efficiency thing as much as anything else. Because let's take American football, for example. There's what, 130 Division One or FBS schools. So, you know, if you call it 200, you know, if you want to add in some FCS, D2, whatever, you're looking at a pool of roughly 200 teams. So that NFL is drawing from soccer. I mean, there's almost an infinite supply of teams and leagues and, you know, every country has multiple leagues. And if you're a, you know, mid-level English team, you got to scout second divisions in a lot of these countries or in South America or North America, whatever. So just the sheer volume of players is impossible to keep track of. And that's, this is just one way that data can help is you mentioned, you know, a team comes up with the stats that are important to them. Well, you, they can, buy the data or have access to the data to find guys in this league and just chop it down to the top five or 10. So you don't have to spend time as a scout watching every single game in the second division in Belgium. You know, you can have a little more targeted uh, interest from that standpoint. Uh, and it can 
do the opposite where you have, a, maybe you're going scout first and you're watching the games and these guys jump out at you, but you've only watched two or three games where they just as best games as worst games. You can have some numbers to add to that conversation. So it's really, it should when it's working well. And I think the top teams do this, it works hand in hand with your traditional scouting. It can make you more efficient. It can, you know, point you in certain directions or away from certain directions. Cause sometimes that sign you don't make is as important as the one you do. And you don't blow nine figures on a transfer or whatever it is. So yeah, it's we're there at the top levels. And I think every team, even you know, deeper down in first divisions or even second divisions, is just figuring out, you know, do we have the money to do this? How can we do this? Because you know, purchasing a license to this data can be as valuable as hiring a scout or two just from a volume and a time standpoint. It's it, it, it's exciting. I, I think what you said about a you know, just the width and breadth of soccer clubs everywhere that they uh uh they need to find an edge and again man we'll talk about it but the different divisions and i mean every country and uh, you're competing not just with the teams in your league let's just say from an mls right. perspective but looking for that player look the portland timbers michelin in, in denmark is one of those clubs that have mm-hmm. really been advanced in their analytics and their scouting yep. and finding the players that fit the right bill and they had the guy evander and now he's come to mls um, but that is like that pipeline where you have to find it, uh, uh, a talent, even at the embryonic stage and hope it pays out. But some of the stats puts them in a really good position. Some of this information puts them in a really position to be successful more often than not. You're not going to be successful, yep. but man, hey, that's a, that's an intimidating situation to get into. It's a lot. I mean, it's all- I mean, you have whatever Liverpool hired a guy who was uh, some kind of physicist or something to, you know, work on stuff. Looking you know, for an edge. People and all sorts of you know, sports science is kind of tangentially related as well, both your own team and especially your own team. You know, you can track them in training and is this guy at his peak and should he come off the bench instead of starting, whatever it is. There's just so much data, so many people that can be involved that it's, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see MLS, especially in the next few years, because almost every team has like some sort of data person, um, but that role might be combined with the video role and they're going to need to keep growing and they will as you know, more and more data is available to teams as more money comes in and it's just it's just going to be part of the standard operation just like now in baseball you know every front office has double digit you know analytics engineers whatever they are in those roles that'll unless won't get that big that quickly but they're just going to keep growing every team's going to have people yeah and one team's going to separate themselves from the field and certainly looking at it from mls if they get uh the right uh they get the right people. Maybe that's my next calling, Paul. Maybe I'll go into data and I will lift a club from mediocrity. And you and me, Max, let's go. We'll we'll start with say Sporting Kansas City, and then we'll move on, take <laughs> over at Tottenham Hotspur, and uh, we will we'll be right. sitting there, and we'll hire Ted Lasso, and we'll just we'll just take off, we'll take over off. the world, let's take go. over the world. I'm in. <laughs> I I was going to talk about this, but it's it's very interesting. But I wanted to pivot here because I I, I did want to talk to you about the situation. Actually, this is the breaking news. We don't know anything about it, but yeah. Anthony Hudson out, um, and BJ Callahan has been promoted by the new sporting director Matt Crocker. The search for a coach continues here. Uh, it's going to be some whoever whoever it is is not going to come in for the Nations League and uh, potentially the Gold Cup. There, whoever's in charge, who is now Callahan. And uh, I don't know what that means. My gut feeling says that Anthony Hudson probably said, I can get with the time I spent here as brief as it was, I could probably get a job somewhere. It's not going to be the U S job, even though that was bandied about. It never was in the cards, obviously. Maybe he's just getting ahead of it. I don't think he's done it, did anything wrong, but maybe he's like, look, I, 
this I, I'm uh, eventually this is going to run its course and I want to be uh, in position to do it. I mean, he's not going to is he going to get a big job at MLS or something? Probably not. But there's probably a job somewhere where he can. Yeah. Maybe it is. And because it he could did, be. Some I would suspect he'll field. pick up a national team job somewhere. Uh, you know, he was with Bahrain in New Zealand before he came to the Rapids. I suspect that in the next couple of days, this week, next week, we'll see something about him joining whichever national team might be next for him. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot happening. Uh, Greg Berhalter, I was at the St. Louis game. He was there. I wanted to say hi to him, but everyone was talking to him because yeah. I was going to tell him, I do a lot of interviews with coaches and like Luchi Gonzalez and Nico Estevez, who coach San Jose and FC Dallas respectively and coached under Greg Berhalter. When I interview them or when I talk to them in our coaches calls, they rave about Greg. So I wanted to pass that on to him. I go, hey, your assistants really spoke very highly of you. Just wanted to let you know that. But I didn't get that chance. But there's this rumor of Swansea, which to me makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, and I always thought that would be next for Greg Berhalter. But uh, it's interesting to see these these moving parts from the what was the 2022 World Cup and where it goes. And we'll see yeah. what the next guy does. I, I, I will say that it's going to be uh, – it won't be that easy to duplicate what Greg does. I know he's often criticized mm-hmm. and what happened, the scandal – that's not the right word, but whatever happened at the end there, which yeah. was unfortunate – is going to taint it. And he made a mistake by airing out that in a place where he thought it wasn't going to get out. It did, but lesson learned. Um, but it's going to be tough to match what he did by getting to round of 16. That's not a, a given um, uh, for any nation. And also, I think with some development of these players, which we will talk about now, who are um, making that move to Europe, having, and having some speed bumps here at the end of the season, mm-hmm. but still, whoever takes over, it's, it's going to be hard to at least match that. We hope he can, which is going to be the biggest World Cup ever. But still, it's not going to be that easy. No. I mean, Berhalter, for the – I mean, the biggest things publicly – criticism is generally for on-the-field stuff. You know, lineups. Should I play this guy? Should I play that guy's style? But I think for – and this is not Berhalter specific. It's really any head coach for a national team now. There's so much behind the scenes that they do of staying in touch with players, of establishing systems and processes, and not just how you're going to play, but just how you do things that is unseen. So, and I think a lot of that had kind of, you know, just in the Klinsman era had maybe gotten a little more convoluted or, or different than it could have, should have been. So Berhalter had to not quite start from scratch, but they're just things he had to establish that were not necessarily in place. So those Agreed. are the things that, that that's, those are the hard things because from a public standpoint, we don't see all that and we don't know the questions that are asked and it's just not stuff that always comes out. But in some ways, it's almost more important because you're laying so much groundwork, not just for like this next game or this next tournament, but for years and years. So you'd hope whoever they bring in can easily kind of take what Greg and his staff did and build from there. They've got a foundation, we think. I know there's been so much turnover in U.S. soccer in general, but you think that foundation is there enough that they can just keep building and take whatever the next step is. Right. Remember, these kids were tadpoles. I always remember that first qualifier. Yeah. Maybe it was the second qualifier in El Salvador where the firework went off and Gio Reyna went, huh. Yeah. Yeah. And perfectly normal reaction. But oh, yeah. if you represent, if you've done, if you played a few games down there, that reaction will change. Yep. And you get the right, which I, well, maybe Gio Reyna is not the best example to yeah. use. <laughs> Other fireworks, something, something. Yeah. Oh. So uh, I remember there was like the, it was like the end of 2021. Um, was it 2021? Yeah, the end of 20 or the, the end of the 2021-22 Champions League. 
And I think it was you had a stat and it was like, look at all these American players, oh. you know, you, uh, sir, you're playing for the biggest clubs. Right. We had yeah, Christian Pulisic just, lifting the trophy. Right. It wasn't just the volume of players, which was a dozen plus, but it was Pulisic was on Chelsea and McKinney was at Juventus and Dest was at Barcelona and Reyna was at Dortmund. I mean, they had guys on. Stefan was five, backing up half, at City. Yeah, who's he, in he a was final. Played a game at least. You had guys on half a dozen of the top 10, 15 clubs in the world, and they were contributing. It's like that was heyday is overstating it, but we've <laughs> things have changed a lot in a year or two. You know, I mean, I, I was we're just looking ahead to next year. Like, who's going to be in Champions League from a U.S. perspective? You know, Reyna will probably be at Dortmund. Um, P-Fox. By the way, I I said a stupid tweet after I think you with you or someone else said it. Go, huh? we got this many guys this year. I mean, next year we're gonna have like thirty, and then it, it actually went the exact <laughs> opposite direction, yeah. which is not to be unexpected because some of these guys went for better opportunities for clubs right. that were non-champions league, like the Leeds, right. which did not end well, obviously. But yeah. you can't blame these guys for making yeah. it there because uh, Brandon Aronson was a, a Red Bull Salzburg right. Champions League player, exactly. Right, and there's a lot of luck involved in those second or third tier of guys, you know, is Rangers going to sneak in the Champions League this year is, you know, whatever uh, gink from Belgium going to make it. So sometimes some of that's luck as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, beyond Reyna and I guess PFOC who's with Union Berlin. Like, I don't know that there's a lot of locks for oh, next boy. year's Champions League. And there's, there could be a ton, you know, we can get into, you know, how in flux almost every U.S. starter is for Let's, next year. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's talk about that. Okay. But, so, uh, so I, I want to say the stat but before we move on, because you said like uh, international, U.S. international, the Premier League, seven players appeared most since 2013-14, yep. 180 matches played, which is a huge number. Mm-hmm. You said most since 2010-2011. And my yeah. media, when I'm reading this, I go, yeah, we had it pretty good back then, but that was probably two or three players eating up most of those right. games. Am I correct? Yeah. You know, Dempsey's, Dempsey, whatever keepers were playing. Yes, right. Because that's uh, another Howard. Thing. Those games and minutes are not just the most in about 10 years. They're the most by non-keepers since 06, 07. So that's going back a long ways into like full America type of days because, you know, U.S. Turner didn't play in the Premier League this year. So all these numbers are outfield players, which is a good thing, even though the season didn't end well for a lot of them. Yeah, amazing. We have no keepers. Uh, maybe uh, Ethan Horvath, who's being promoted right. with maybe. Luton Town, but he's on loan. So we'll have to see. I would imagine uh, they'd want to keep him, but... We're like grasping at straws here because now you have, you know, Leeds uh, story about Brendan Aronson and he has a clause which would avoid him going down. Maybe he wants to go down. I don't know. I mean, it's it's worked for some guys, but I mean, the, mm-hmm. the English championship is that's a grind, the, man. At, as it stands. It's packed with American players, but I don't know. If that's where we want American players. I'm not saying it's a wasted time because you uh, I actually spoke to Timothy Tillman and he said when he played at Bundesliga two, not it's apples to apples. Mm hmm. He says he benefited so much because of the physical nature and the, the demanding parts of it that, you know, may have veered away from the the tactical aspects because he put that into his game and it helped him tremendously. But you don't want that to be long term to. Right. We, we, we want to see that. And I, I think some of the American soccer supporters that were obviously very proud and feel like we made that breakthrough, it's, it's going to be weird next season unless – um, some of these guys land on it. So let's let's take a peek at what what it could look like. A Christian Pulisic, <laughs> I mean, it was getting bad, uh, Paul, because, I mean, our, the bar felt like it got so low that mm-hmm. we were celebrating Christian Pulisic being tough when he bounced right. into Davi De Gea, which is true. I, it's right. good to see it, but is, is, that a, is that our standard now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just playing with something. I don't, 
I'll be very interested to see where he goes because we're assuming he's going to leave because Chelsea, you know, brought in so many players and they're letting Chal Felix is going to leave apparently back to Atletico. And I mean, I feel like any, let's say, mid-level Premier League team could use a Pulisic type. Sure. Um, I mean, even a Newcastle could. They have a lot of wingers, but it depends what they're going to do. You know, are they going to spend a ton of money now that they're in Champions League and Saudi Arabia and all this stuff? I don't know. Um, I feel like Italy's kind of the best fit for Pulisic. You know, Juventus popped up today. Somebody reported they were interested. Milan, you know, somewhere you can get on a wing and and play. And it's not quite as physical for a guy who has had a lot of, you know, injuries over the years. Seems like the best fit. But, I mean, really, you just you say this for every single one of these guys. Just got to play. Got to play. Just want to play somewhere. So uh, let's we, a, we, we may have to relinquish the Champions League dream for Americans. Maybe. Which yeah, is fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just wanted to play, play and in good spots, you know. Um, but all these guys, I mean, here, I, I'll just start running through like the lineup. By the way, Christian Pulisic, before we move through the lineup, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. he was bought for like 60 million. They're not way, they're right. not going to get that back. They got to yeah, be, I, they got to be realistic because he's kind of being held hostage by, I think, that price tag. Right. And he only has one year left, I believe, on his contract. Okay. Good. So, so they have to, uh, Right, so Chelsea should be a little, a little motivated to get something. Um, yeah. I think the number I saw floated was twenty-ish in the twenty million dollars range. Bad. Which yeah. even that's a good deal for a whole year. But but if you can get a guy, get him in, and yeah, I think the wages were an issue for Juve in in the article that was out there today. Um, so they all and then all the Leeds guys, Premier League, just every everyone in the Premier League pretty much is a question. I mean, you assume Reem is going to be back, but he's got a broken arm. Anthony Robinson, there was a Man City interest floated out there you never know what to I, I saw Ant- Anthony Robinson on a lot of best 11s not a lot yeah. but a couple yeah and I was like whoa yeah he Still. could make a jump up the Premier League ladder presumably is where he'd want to stay into a slightly better situation so what about these of, leads guys I mean I realistically Weston McKinney there was like a there was yeah. a talk of Brighton which would be I think would be amazing yeah, be because you you would assume Moises Caicedo moves on right and I know there's talk to Manchester United and that could be a position he could fill or at least there's a couple positions he could fill there. Uh, it depends on what Brighton does because yeah. I think their midfield's going to shuffle up a lot. McAllister probably yeah. is probably going. Yeah, I don't know, but that yeah, would, that would make sense. But um, maybe goes to Juventus again. Huh? I mean, Brighton has established himself in such a short time. It's just such a good stable club that has a, knows what they're doing. Like you, you know, manager changes, players leave, but they still just watch them. You know, they you can just tell they're they're drilled well and they know what they're doing. And by the way, that, they, that would be great. You you talk, we, we circle back to those clubs that are, are going next level in scouting and obviously doing what they've been able to do to find. I mean, they went to the lower Belgian leagues to find uh, Katomo, Hitomo, and uh, yeah. I say that wrong, but um, Caicedo obviously coming from um, Ecuador, uh, Mitoma, I'm sorry. And then yeah. all these guys and McAllister too, they were very big 18. in the Americas. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, finding a, a young Paraguayan star who scored one of the goals of the year, so they're they are a very global brand in that sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think if somebody likes you from Brighton, you're doing something right. Right. Yeah. So it'd be great. I think he'd probably like to stay in England. Uh, doesn't seem like Juve has all that much interest in bringing him back. Um, Adams is interesting to me because oh, here's here's some numbers for you. That's a so that's when, a guy Leeds would love to keep right. or attempts With, to come uh, back up. With Adams on the field this season, Leeds allowed 1.4 goals per 90 minutes. When he was not on the field, and most of this was at the end of the year after he hurt his hamstring, uh, 2.7 goals they allowed per 90 minutes, so almost double uh, without him on the field. And you could all the defensive numbers just fell off a cliff after he got hurt. Um, I can't imagine he stays at Leeds just because I feel like you could plug Adams into almost any Premier League club uh, and 
you know, it's just kind of a question. Does he want to, uh, it's a question for all these guys. Is it better for, to go to a, we'll say a top six team and fight for minutes? Like, you know, if Adam's, if Arsenal, you know, there was Arsenal interest supposedly out there at some point, is it better for him to go there? Cause he's probably not going to jump right in and start, or is it better for him to go to, we'll just say Brighton or whatever, and just kind of be the kind of written in starter. Um, cause there's cases for both. You love seeing, you know, Dempsey, how many times did a new manager go to a different club and he just had to start from scratch and fight his way back into the lineup and he did. And that was great to see. Um, but I'm not sure everybody's wired quite like that. So, you know, where they go, that's, that's definitely a factor. You want to be a star. You want to be a rotation guy. You want to fight your way in a lot of different possibilities. Well, yeah, maybe we're giving these guys, uh, the wrong consulting and we're saying, look, you want to play for these big clubs, but how about a home here? But then again, Leeds seemed like that perfect spot. By the way, I'm ready to give a double finger to Leeds and the way they handle our Americans. <laughs> so everyone's like, Team America, buy a Leeds shirt, sell your Leeds shirt. You know, screw Leeds. <laughs> oh, you, you fire Let's Marsh. Start with, over. You fire Marsh, who, which look, I'm kind of indifferent on whether it was a good or bad decision to fire him, but they didn't have a plan after that. And you could tell they were just kind of scrambling to find somebody to plug the gap and it didn't work and injuries. And yeah, it was just a big mess. Yeah, all the teams that did that got relegated. You know, Southampton, Leicester, Leeds, um, Everton got a new manager and it worked out well. But it wasn't they like seemed, yeah, it wasn't well, like they, they lit plan. the house on fire. Right. They had a good result at the end of the season. Right. Yeah, I don't know if they had a plan to go get Deitch and they were trying to you know change and get him before uh, he was snapped up, or if it just kind of worked out well. But they they ended up with a plan one way or the other, whether they it was intentional or they kind of backed into it. So Leeds not we'll take Leeds and Pulisic. Uh, I mean, those yeah. will work out. I think Brendan Aronson maybe makes sense. Does he we'll go, go back? Somewhere. Yeah, maybe he goes to Germany again, or maybe yeah. he gets out of England. I'd love for everyone to stay in England mm-hmm. because the idea they can get back. You know, there's this rumor, not a rumor. There's this report about Brian Reynolds to West Ham, which like, wow, right. what a revival for a guy who, you know, he got Mourinho'd and then he's <laughs> built himself back up. Uh-huh. By the way, this is Mourinho thing. Uh, I, everyone said he's coming to the U.S. And like, oh, yeah, we'd love him. And I go, are you serious? You see, if, if there was complaints about how the U.S. played in Qatar, oh. do you want that? No. And, and can you imagine? So, I mean, look, a, a good chunk of the U.S. head coach job is kind of a PR guy, you know? Yeah. Um, can you imagine Mourinho going through all the rigmarole and press conferences and TV hits and all that stuff that the U.S. coach has to do and that Burhalter was pretty good at? Yeah, that um, would be entertaining, though. <laughs> it, it, would, it, it would. Yes. If it weren't the U.S., like I would be right. all in on it, you know, like let him take over England or, you know, he, he yeah. won't, but you know, just whatever marquee team you want for the sheer entertainment value. Absolutely. Uh, that would be there for sure. But yeah, I don't want him. Yeah. And I look, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's, he's got results for Roma, but that's, oh, yeah. that's, it's almost better just, if you're a Roma fan to not watch the games and just see the results. All right, we got it. Right. Let's go. Right. Yeah, We're you going to sh- getting kind of <laughs> on and off the field. So the Leeds guys, Christian Pulisic will say is Gio Reyna. Because look, I, I know people he's are staying uh, there. He's probably staying there. And, and Turgid said there, you know, they're like, has he mishandled him? I go, well, look, I go, if Burhalter felt he wasn't ready for that, and then another coach felt like that, then there's something there. Uh, he's mm-hmm. young, and obviously, you see the talent ooze off of him, and he got some great numbers. Um, yeah. You had a you tweeted something about what he was able to, to accomplish, and uh, maybe it's just an issue of being patient. And yeah, maybe I mean, we're yeah. impatient, and maybe he's impatient, but he should be patient because that's a good, great club. Yeah, the good news. I mean, he had seven goals in Bundesliga, which doesn't sound like a ton, but the only American who scored more in a Bundesliga season was Eric Winalda with Saarbrücken back in the early 90s. Um, I think the question for Reyna is, 
kind of fragility. He only started four times, I think, in 22 games this season and obviously missed a good chunk of the year with injuries. So I think Dortmund's a great place for him if he can kind of kind of get back to where he was a year or two ago where he was a, a regular starter and you know, if he can start 25, 30 games a year in the league, that's where he wanted to get. So it doesn't seem like he's going to go anywhere. Honestly, no. if Dortmund will sell if someone comes in with the right offer, but that seems unlikely to me given that Reno was not in the 11 all that much this yeah. year. I can't imagine someone's going to come in and blow Dortmund away with a lot of money. I just was like, there's some guys, <clears throat> I think we saw Kareem out of Yemi, great player. And uh, obviously you, uh, Brandt is, is the direct mm-hmm. player in front of Reina, but there's some other guys come in that he could probably play in some positions. Maybe he's locked into one, mm-hmm. but I was just a little surprised. These are young players that are getting minutes ahead of him. So it'll be an interesting off season and uh, hopefully yeah. we, we roll around in August and there he is in the starting 11 for Dortmund again. Um, yep. Great club, be a be fine patient. outcome. Yeah, fine outcome for him. He's in Champions League again. Just again, work your way back into full fitness into the starting lineup, and ideally start contributing the way you, we know that you can. Who else are we talking about? Yunus Musa, Valencia. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, yeah, I think they rounds now. out that midfield. Yeah, I think Valencia can technically be relegated, but like five things have to happen on the last day for them to go down. So, you know, it's probably not happening. But yeah, so Musa's the rest of that MMA midfield. That the question: Where is he going to go? Um, you know, he was fairly regular, but almost any English club's been linked to him. He's still only 20, remember? So, you know, Arsenal, where he was as a, as a youth, uh, you know, West Ham, Chelsea have been linked to, I think Liverpool even, um, could go anywhere, but it's kind of the same thing. You want him in a spot, like in some ways, West Ham's more appealing, obviously to you, um, but it is, but then you get all these Americans, go, Hey, West Ham, I go get, get, no, 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 I'm watching this. Mm-hmm. I don't want the convoluted watch anymore. So I'd like <laughs> right. some American players, but if there's too many yeah. of them, then it gets weird. Right. Yeah. So you, you think that would be a better spot, but you know, who knows if you can play your way into an Arsenal or a Chelsea type of lineup that could work even better. I'm a little leery of Chelsea just because oh, yeah. it's going on and obviously how Pulisic's been treated. So I don't know if that's fair or not, but you know, Pochettino, that's what he did super well at Tottenham was develop those young guys. Um, he didn't have to do that at PSG. Uh, so, but you know, any, any, any step up and kind of, I think it sounds like Musa wants to go to England. So that would be good for him. I think to get into a different spot and kind of make the next step for him. Um, but we would agree other- that he's got to get out of Valencia. That's especially in the, so. even with this, what happened with Vinicius. It's just like, it's bad. Yeah. Bad energy got, there. He has obvious roots in England. So, you know, I think it seems like a natural thing for him to make that jump. Um, I'm oh, very curious. Know, maybe Balogun gets into That's, some champions. Like, that's what, what do you I was got, going. Paul? What do you got, Paul? That's how it's going. What you know, he says he wants to start next. You know, so obviously he's on loan this season from Arsenal, uh, and scored a whole bunch of goals. You know, twenty goals, first U.S. guy to score twenty goals in a top five European league in a season. Um, just to give you a couple other numbers for him before we get uh, the only guys ahead of him in goals right now are Mbappe, Jonathan David, Alexander Lacazette. So pretty good company, um, and he actually underachieved his expected goals numbers this year. So point being. He could have been even better. He could. Have way, he's a, he's he's a data darling. You look at all the stuff. You're like, Ooh, oh, yeah. it just pops off the screen when you you dig deeper with what yeah. he's. And been you able watch to do. that. You know, you, I'm sure you've gone down the same YouTube rabbit holes I have. You just see him score goals so many different ways. Whether it's you know on the run, whether it's being in the right place in the box, whether it's you know making a run to the near post, whether it's breaking out of the midfield, like all these different things, head, feet. Seems like obviously exactly what the U.S. needs. Um, and he says he wants to start wherever next year, which makes sense. You're probably not starting at Arsenal between Jesus and Nketiah. And you're probably not no. plugging into that nine spot. Um, no. So, yeah, where does he go? 
I, I don't know. You know, there have been, you know, Italian clubs, Milan and Inter have been out there, Marseille, Monaco, Leipzig, you know, almost any of those, I'll call them kind of your second cut of European clubs have been floated as possibilities. So basically what I'm hearing, Paul, is that uh, CBS is going to be licking their chops because they have the, the city up rights because next season they might fall into like three right. Americans, high profile. Right. going to change. And, there. Yeah. Pulisic goes there and Musa goes there and you know, away I go, you know, any of these guys. And guess who Guess who gets a pay there. bump? Paul Carr. Oh, baby. More, <laughs> more game notes. Let's do it. We need to double the output, Paul. What's it going to cost us? Uh, okay. You don't. You stay out of that, Paul. This is money. me talking. I'm your agent right, sorry, now sorry. for a moment. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a, uh, it's, by the way, one thing at Balogun, he tweeted that stat about being the first American in the five major leagues to score 20 goals. He said it was the first American, and I, I got a little emotional. I go, he's all in. Right. He, he, he sees the value in that. And he, I, well, that's what I, mean, I think that's all we ask. You know, obviously, he's yeah. but be genuine to play. Anyone who's eligible to play can play, and there's no problems with that. Uh, I don't ask for anything. Yeah, so score much. goals. But right. I mean, because we care so much, that's bonus. Want, you want players to care also. That's all. That's all that matters, I think. Yeah, we've had some that have, and some that were kind of indifferent, and some that probably didn't right. give to. Right. And that goes to be, honest, to be clear. That goes for not just dual nationals. That goes for whatever. We'll just say born and raised in the U.S. People too. Some could care less about the national team, and those are guys that I'm not saying they're less interested, but it's just you just want them to care like we care. Which yeah. I know it's different when you're a player and all that, but that's kind of the idealistic thing. I, I mean, once you put that shirt on, you're playing with guys that you respect, and you're there. You're going to care. You're going to sit there and go, "This is." My country, and you see people from that country cheering for you. It has to, it will click in. Yeah. Uh, maybe some more than others. Yeah. So who who did we leave out? I mean, uh, what is our goalkeeper? So I mean, Matt yeah, Turner. Matt Turner's the big question. He's it's, not going to start next year at Arsenal. Yeah. I, and, I, I, by the way, I, and, I love the fact he spent one year as a backup. I thought that's great yeah. for his development. But now I think it's the time where he has to Agreed. look. And now that Arsenal's in Champions League, you kind of and they signed Ramsdale to a contract extension. You kind of assume he won't get those European. You know, he played most of Europa League this season. You kind of assume that's not happening, um, which isn't good. Uh, you know, he wants to stay at Arsenal. Obviously, it's kind of his dream club. But I feel he might be better off getting loaned out somewhere. You know, whether it's further down in England. I don't know if Championship is a, a possibility. Um, so that's a big question. Stefan's in a similar boat. Horvath, all the keepers are kind of in that same. Where are they going to end up uh, standpoint next year? And then the back line, we talked about Anthony Robinson. Uh, Serginio Dest, I think, is the other big question. Because, frankly, like your center backs right now are probably MLS guys. Union um, Berlin was uh, looks yeah, like so might that, be something. We, Champions League, if he plays, if it doesn't happen. Right. Like, because the Milan thing was so weird. That was bad. How quickly it just. Real fast. <gasps> yeah. So you're gonna have, you games. have to have your guard up with with what happens. Yeah, with it, I mean, it should have been a surprise to Milan that defending is not Dest's strong point. I mean, he didn't have to do a lot of Barcelona that, that's or in Netherlands before that. Uh, Bundesliga seems like a good fit for him. You know, an attacking fullback. You know, we've seen tons of them do well in Bundesliga. That seems like a good idea. I don't think he's going back to Barcelona because they, I think they wanted him to, you know, show well in Italy and then they could sell him and get some of their money back. But that doesn't seem super likely so Bundesliga seems like a good fit uh, I don't know what he wants you know don't know what the offers coming in are but that seems like the most likely thing he just needs to play played 14 total games all season and all comps and none since January for Milan so yeah he's just got to go somewhere he can play Oof. so uh, it's going to look different I mean the big one is Pulisic and we'll see uh, what comes with them but you know this Chelsea thing it got worse and worse and worse you know Mauricio Pochettino said 
no, I want him. And I, you know, it's too late. It, it, uh, it's, and it, but Pulisic has got to really push for it. I mean, he's yeah. got to say, I want, I don't know what he's saying. It seems like he's saying that. And as you said, with one year left and then it'll be interesting with uh, the Leeds guys and moving forward, but uh, it's going to be a, an exciting off season for all of us. Paul, this has been amazing. And I mean, we could go on for hours. I, before we leave, cause I know you're, you're involved in betting and we've talked about yeah. analytics and, and, and so forth. And look, NFL, I'm not saying something you don't know became the powerhouse it has become because of betting because mm-hmm. fantasy football. I mean, yeah. I I'd sit there and watch the last 10 seconds of a Jaguars Titans game because yep. I have, you've got the over, I got the, the, or the tight end. Yeah. I mean, it's like uh, my fantasy team is like, come on. Right. I mean that, how do we channel in that with soccer? Cause we know, you know, I'm not, I don't gamble, but I know people, you've had a little money, it could be 10 bucks on a game. You're like, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to gamble in soccer because yeah. the, the, the lack of outcomes. As, yeah, it's not as intuitive as the for Americans because, look, football is very straightforward. You can obviously just take somebody to win. There's the point spread, which you know isn't too tough to decipher. And you have the over-under, which is very straightforward. This many points in the game. Um, soccer is just different, both from a, you know, it's not a win-loss thing. There's obviously three outcomes. So that kind of skews your perception of the odds, too. Uh because the numbers are obviously very different with three outcomes compared to two, um, you know, over under, I think is a good betting entry because it's fun to root for goals, uh, or, you know, or the opposite. If you're, you know, you hate human achievement or something. Um, and the spread is just not much of a thing. You know, you can obviously bet to win by two goals or more and all that. It's just, um, so I think part of it's just that it, it works a little bit differently than football, especially in the U S but, you know, as, you know, I saw it a lot around the World Cup where, look, so legalized sports betting came to Kansas where I am last September. So I got heavily involved. And around the World Cup, like all the sports books, just lots of promos, lots of different things. And events like that are a big help. I would hope there's something similar around the Women's World Cup this summer. Um, just And there's games every day. So that's part of it too, is the repetition of it all. That's where it needs to start time. a World Cup where you can. Right. And during the summer, like NBA and NHL are going to be done. So, so I hope they hit these Women's World Cup hard. Because it's there, and you're obviously there's a lack of familiarity with players from the general public, so that's a challenge. Um, but it's a good opportunity. I mean, and it's a good way to get people into the sport. You know, since the betting became legal in Kansas, I placed bets on weird sports that I've never watched, and suddenly, like you said, I'm watching the end of a fever dream WNBA game the other day because <laughs> I had ten dollars on it or something, and hoping something happens. Uh, I don't know. This, this I just realized that when the fever and dream plays that you have to say, I had a fever dream, it's a fever, and just, fever dream. Yeah. That's, I don't know if that's good or bad branding, but it's I don't know, but how would they, how would they have known? How could we tell those two franchises what to name themselves right. when they play each yeah. other? So, and I of guess, course now you, you need to know, uh, Paul Carr is bringing soccer back to Kansas. That's, <laughs> that's where he he's home. He's very proud of it. And, uh, it, he has developed this, um, uh, you are part of the uh, soccer fabric of that great state of Kansas. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny how many, especially in the media world, people just came out of Kansas, whether it's the late Grant Wall, of course, from Kansas City, Jason Sudeikis and Ted Lasso has Kansas City ties. And then, you know, Andrew Wiebe with MLS and Alex Abnos with Athletic and all these different people that came out of which is a place that is not a big soccer hotbed like high school soccer really only got going in the 90s, I think, in most of Kansas, especially outside Kansas City and Wichita. Everyone was uh, everyone was locked in on Shockers baseball. That's right. National champions in 89 or so. Did they, did they, did, what happened to that program? 
Gene Stevenson, I guess, went away. We left. They've, him. they've gone through a lot of different alums trying to, to figure out. That was always out. one of those kind of an aberration. Go, wait, you're all these big honest, SEC, I think, and ACC schools. I, Wichita I think State. the rise of basketball probably hurt them because yeah. basketball's really gotten big there in the last decade or so, uh, especially, you know, making NCAA tournament run, number one seed, et cetera, Final Four, and all that stuff. I think that was part of it. But, uh, but yeah, I guess to, to get back to the betting thing, like it's there, you know, it's just a matter of the companies. It's, it's a huge opportunity because there's so much. We always talk about soccer never stops. So, and if you're a, a betting company, you want people engaged, what can be better than a sport that doesn't stop? You know, the NBA is going to shut down in a week or two once the finals end and there are no games of consequence for months. Soccer, the European season ends in a couple of weeks. Five days later, there's Nations League and there's the Gold Cup. And there's the Women's World Cup. And the European season starting again. I mean, it's like, it's a great opportunity uh, and, and as much as I said, it's a little bit different from a betting state point. It's still fairly simple, you know, you just, it's just more of an odds thing that I think intimidates some people, which I understand, but you want to win a loss, a draw, how many goals, a better player to score a goal. You know, the basic stuff is still fairly straightforward. So I think companies will uh, look to capitalize on that as the sport continues to grow. All right. So get, get ready to hit the sports book for the women's world cup. Man, let that be your launching point to win or lose money in the sport of soccer. <laughs> and I, I don't, I'm not shedding light on making light of this. It's just, it, it, I think it's important because we want eyeballs Yeah. and however they come in, whether it's, they enjoy the sport or they want to lose their money. I don't know. Right. If the entry <laughs> is all you want the U S the entry is you, you want the U S to beat Vietnam by at least five goals. Like if that's what it takes to kind of get you hooked initially, you know, that's fine. That's... You know, it's the same as anything. You want someone to watch for a little bit. It's, it's the way you do promotions at the stadium or whatever. You know, you do it at LAFC. You run a promotion. You get people to the game. You want them to see it, and you hope that gets them hooked, and they come back for more. Same, same sort of oh, thing. Oh boy, I am such a sick pup uh, that <laughs> I will, I will pursue, I will pursue all of that as we 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 get towards. I mean, I'm a sick pup in the sense I was going to say I'm going to be watching that USA Vietnam game because it's an Asian team, smaller Asian country. Four years after they put 13 on, was it Thailand? Thailand, yeah. I, I, I'm curious to see what the scoreline is going to be. I think it's going to be around five. I think it's yeah. a it's a different USA team, and probably Vietnam is yep. um, there for a, a reason. But yeah, uh, it could be more just because, like Thailand, it's the first game of the group, and you know, you know, your goal difference could matter if you're trying to win the group over the Dutch. There's but, my uh, first. There's my first bet, Paul. The be. under on USA Vietnam. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Bold. I don't know it's, what the line is. The but... under the under is not fun. It's not a fun bet. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying it's not fun because it could be over very quick. Nothing to happen. And yeah, like especially for a team like the US that has firepower. Like I've bet the under on Man City games and like you just hate yourself like two minutes. You know later. what? Just scratch that from the record. I already bet <laughs> with Sarah Walsh at dinner about whether it's the field winning, which I picked, or the US. She picked the US. Yeah, okay. So I'm already I'm already in a bad spot with my national team. So I don't want to make it you any got worse. a good one on that. I mean the US is obviously know, that's the favorite, a great, but they're yeah. like three to one favorite or so. So you know they're not gonna win could, it. They're not it's too hard. The field's too I mean, good this time around. I would definitely take the field over the US. I would also take the US over any other team. That's kind of wow. where I land on that. Semantics nice. You little flippity flop. Depends on the prices. <laughs> Show me the price. Paul, I Paul Carr, true media sports. You can hear him on the ringer from time to time and, and making everyone smarter. This was I knew this was gonna be enjoyable. It was more enjoyable than I could have ever imagined. Always good to catch up with you, match Max. And I hope you just ruined the whole soon. thing. Yeah, dang it. <laughs> to do the outro again. Always good to catch up with you, Max. No, we're doing the whole thing again. I'm <laughs> starting over. Rewind. <laughs> Re-rack it. All right. Can't wait to see you in person again soon. Sounds like a Tom, De- Tom uh, DeCordy. Uh, hold on. Re-rack it.
Uh, but yeah, I appreciate that, man. And I know because I, 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 we're doing this on a Tuesday. I'm gonna my stoppage time coming up is about the U.S. under twenty, so we can both yeah. part our ways and watch that game and enjoy it. And I will talk about it coming up on stoppage time here. Paul Carr, thanks again for joining us. Much more on the Soccer OG. I know you guys meaning to ask, but I always had to update what's going on in MLS. It's going great. It's going great. Actually, I'm recording this, and I'm heading to Seattle for a midweek game, Seattle and uh, San Jose. I was in St. Louis, got to see City Park. Fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, I haven't been in St. Louis in a while, and i got to tell you, some things are pretty noticeable. Um, how segregated that place is, man. I wasn't ready for that. It's like, I mean, I know a lot of cities are like that. We're not fully integrated as a people in the United States. We're trying, and we see that. But it was uh, it was pretty jarring. So uh, I, and I will say, like the, the every, that club is amazing. Everyone involved in that club. Um, St. Louis is an interesting city. Uh, sports is huge there, and and it, technically their stadium's downtown. But there's nothing going on around the stadium. It's it's pretty quiet and static. You had the Union Station, but you know when we talk about you know these atmospheres, I think it's, you want a little more street kind of uh, atmosphere happening. But uh, Anyway, we'll be, I'm actually going to be in St. Louis again next week. And so looking forward to calling the game. Um, I, that's just my, my two cents. I mean, it could be an incredible atmosphere if there was just a little more activity on the outside of the stadium. That's it. I know it's got nothing to do with what's happening inside, but I wish I saw that. Still incredible. If you get a chance, go to St. Louis and go see. Uh, uh, I, we stayed right by Bush Stadium, so I, I want to go see a baseball game there. I mean, it's taking me this long. Okay, this is stoppage time. We're talking about the U.S. under-20s who beat New Zealand 4-0 in the uh, round of 16. Uh, because they were three wins out of three, they got a favorable matchup. They got a third-place team. And New Zealand, um, it was competitive for a bit, but very little resistance. I mean, we ne- you never really feel threatened with this U.S. team. They haven't given up a goal. They haven't trailed, obviously. Um, it just feels like they have everything under control. Granted, they're going to start facing better uh, opponents coming up here um so i mean maybe not they might have uruguay who's highly regarded but not the strongest south american team i think they've already played maybe the strongest south american team except for argentina who's hosting it remember argentina qualify i expect argentina to hit a speed bumper here but ecuador has been fantastic uh and they are going to face the gambia yes the gambia that's how you say it who've done incredibly to get to this point so they win there like they've always made it to the round of the quarterfinals, last three editions, and they haven't made it. I think they're going to do it. And then the bottom half of the bracket, you could get Brazil. That's the favorite. Could be Uzbekistan, Israel, or Tunisia. You avoid, I think, the heavy hitters, uh, the Italians who've played well. England haven't looked good, but they're on the other side of the bracket. Colombia uh, and Ecuador on the other side of the bracket. And so is Argentina and Nigeria. So the U.S. really got a good side of the brackets. I, I think they will make at worst a semifinal. And again, I've you know I've not felt a moment where they, things were they they look like a twenty three. They look like a pro team. They have all things kind of covered. They defend smartly. I mean, you could say if you haven't allowed a goal in four games, credit the goalkeeper. But Gaga Slonina hasn't really faced all that much. He's threatened maybe once a game, and that's a credit to the back line in front of him. Um, it's also credit to the fact that the U.S. team is so demanding with possession, 
um, and crafty. There's just no big threat against them. Certainly not against New Zealand, who they outshot 22 to 3. The criticism you could have about the U.S. is they waste chances. But man, are they getting a lot of chances. And it is better to have a chance and waste it than not to have a chance at all. So when Diego Luna and Cade Cowell are missing here and there, I'm okay with it because the sheer volume means they're going to score. Cade Cowell scored his third goal in three games. Diego Luna had a nice game. Should He had a great tap in in the end off this incredible counterattack that should have gone in, and it, it did up any, being a Justin Che goal. Uh, so... Uh, I'm happy with those two and Owen Wolf, that trio up there. You got Kevin Paredes back in there and you can bring him off the bench. I mean, this U.S. team has got it all. And by the way, can we get can we get uh, a little Tyler Adams hype for Daniel Edelman? I mean, he's, to me, he's been the player of the tournament, the best player for the U.S., organizing that midfield, distributing, being a threat from long range. Uh, this is a guy who plays all the time for the New York Red Bulls, just like Tyler Adams. That's why I bring him up. And it is exciting. I also want to say, for all those people that say the U.S. soccer doesn't get the best athletes in American sports, well, take a look at the left side from that game. Kate Cowell, who is, I'm officially calling him the NorCal Holland, and Caleb Wiley are elite athletes. Elite. Could probably play football, basketball, you name it. Could see both of them playing football, but they chose soccer. And that's happening. That's two guys. Uh, Joshua Winder, who, by the way, I have to talk about the broadcaster. One minute to call him Winder, then Winder. He kept calling Justin Che, Che Justin. Um, and I'm not t- picking on it. It just, I think when FIFA has these, this is a World Cup. And I don't know why these stadiums are all so empty. And in a place like Argentina, you give those things for free or something. And the world feed, it feels like you're a million miles away from the actual game. I mean, we watch it because the U.S. is involved. But, man, it, uh, if you're a neutral, why would you sit and watch these games? It's obviously see the fu- stars of the future, but they got to be better produced. they got to give people a little more, you know, maybe a little more production. I don't know how that looks like, but I got some ideas. So I don't want to dwell too much on that. But um, we, we don't know the opponent yet for the U.S., but we, we will in due time. Uh, there's so many good under-20 players that are playing in MLS and doing well. Noel Buck had that goal. Uh, Brian Gutierrez continues to play at a high level. And then you got these guys doing what they're doing. Uh, it's hard not to be, you know, over the moon on what is possible here. This has been such a controlled, you know, I haven't really seen it like that. And I think with the luck of the draw, not the luck of the draw. Okay. And this is the point I want to get across because I know we've been here long enough. So I want to duck out of here. The U.S. can be wasteful of chances, and that's not a good habit against better opponents that you will be facing later in the, in the World Cup. But if you continue this defensive record where very few shots and no goals get through, you're going to get pretty deep in the tournament. I get the feeling that there's going to be some gluts of goal. We saw this late against New Zealand. Uh, they wore down teams. The U.S. looks better late in games. New Zealand couldn't keep up really at the end, so... Uh, and this could be famous last words. I think I said this when, the, was it 2016, 15 World Cup, where they lost to, uh, was it uh, Ukraine? No, not Ukraine. I shouldn't bring this up. If I don't have the information here, I'm so sorry. Um, so uh, I, will get, <laughs> I will get back to that. It, it's not important, but it was like 2015, 16, and Serbia, right? They lost to Serbia. Uh, but the U.S., Cade Cowell stars, right? I, mean, I would say Owen Wolf, Edelman, 
Winder, all these guys. Justin Che looked good, man. He looks... It's it's a really good team effort, and they can throw everything at you. One thing I did, I mean, I learned today is that John Herdman, the Canadian coach, his son Jay is the number 10 for New Zealand, and he is with the Whitecaps. Uh, he's 18. He's with the Whitecaps uh, MLS League, uh, MLS Next Pro team. So we could see him here. He looks like a good player. He didn't have a good game. Um, he uh, could also play uh, through England, and I, th- and I think he'd go with Canada as well. He's New Zealand-born. His dad obviously um, played, spent some time down there, uh, and that might be a good place for him. New Zealand, in all likelihood, is going to go to the World Cup, so why not stick with that? Because Oceania is guaranteed to have a spot there. But uh, you know, prior to coaching the Canadian women, Herdman was in New Zealand from 2006 to 2011. I guess you do the math. That's where his son was born. So it's good to see that. But it was, uh, congratulations to New Zealand. Had a nice run in the tournament. But we'll be back here to recap what's going on and everything happening on the road. We'll continue to get the great guests. Soccer OG, rate, review, download, and subscribe. Tell a friend for crying out loud. And until I speak with you again, Placido Domingo.